You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. Hello to you. Welcome to another episode of History Being Black podcast. I am Jay Hall, and I am joined here with a writer, speaker, entrepreneur, one of my good friends, also a Howard Bison, my guy, Mr. Ivan Thomas. How are you doing, good sir? I'm doing excellent, Jay. How are you doing, man? Oh, excellent, brother. That's a that's a I don't know what to say after excellent. I mean, I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm doing cool, but I'm like, man, you said excellent. I know that's how we was gonna bring it. Yeah, like, so you blessed. You blessed. That's real, brother. That's real. That's real. That's good, man. I'm glad everything has been going good for you, brother. You out there traveling as usual. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. That's what's up, man. Well, you know, I, the thing is about having someone like you um, on the show, and you and I have had this conversation off mic, which is very important, is because there, there seems to be a lot of this growth or population of, you know, motivational speakers and people right. who get online and they kind of say these phrases, you know, look in the mirror clap your heels twice and you will be rich and all of these affirmations that you know it it can be really hard to decipher who's real you know who's not and you know who's legit and who's authentic when you yourself when you hear the words motivational speaker what what comes to your mind a motivational speaker is just somebody who tries to get you excited you know to ignite a fire under you to really do what you probably already know to do, but it's just you're not motivated. So, um, you know, I find it to be effective in some ways, and in some ways it can just be words. You know, there's there's layers that you have to unpack, but motivation is kind of like the beginning stage to kind of just igniting that fire and, you know, energizing people to go out there and tackle whatever it is that they need to tackle in life. Can you recall in your childhood the first time you heard or felt motivated for something like you yourself? Uh, The first time I felt motivated for something probably had something to do with sports, you know, just being honest. Um, You know, I'm a competitive person. And, um, you know, sometimes I think I recall a basketball game, you know, at junior high, wasn't playing that great. My dad was in the stands yelling at me. And um, there's just something about, you know, the fear of failure, you know, and the fear of just not you know, living up to my potential. And, you know, we can get into that later. Um, But, you know, I really fear just not living up to my fullest potential. So lots of times when my back is against the wall, we're losing and all of those things, you know, that's kind of, and then I hear, you know, people yelling on the sidelines that ignites a fire. No matter of fact, it was high school. I was 16 years old. My youngest brother had just been born and my dad yelled from the stands, hey, you got a, you got a little brother, man. And that just, for some reason, I'm like, I got to win this game. Right. So, you know, that's probably the time where I really recall just being super motivated, where I just was kind of in a slump. But just hearing that, you know, that I just had a new brother who had just been born literally that day and it just ignited a fire. I'm like, yo, I got to win this for my brother. And I think that was like an exceptional um, example of being motivated and motivation actually leading to success because we won the game. OK. And I'm glad you put that stamp down. You know, we won the game. 
Yeah, we definitely won the game, man. You know, I played well, and it's just something with me about being under pressure. Sometimes I need to put myself under pressure in order to perform. So if I feel like I'm not, you know, operating at the level that I need to be, like I have to find a way to put myself under pressure. And it's always worked for me. Might not work for everybody, but um, that's what it takes for me to 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 make it happen. Okay, so you're you're 16, and where you born and raised at again? I was born in Washington, D.C., moved around a little bit, you know, Newark, New Jersey, East Orange, Montclair, moved up to Wellesley. But I spent most of my life in the Chicago area. So we lived first on the south side, then we moved up to the north shore of Chicago, um, called in the Great Lakes area. And uh, that's where I lived for about uh, 10 years before going to Howard. So, I mean, you 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 benchmark in this period of time in your life where your father is like, hey, listen, you got a little brother right here. Yeah, yeah. You win the game. How does that carry on past high school for you in your experience? Um, the way it carried on. And, you know, of course, I went through other things that I personally needed to overcome with regards to my mindset. But it did kind of it did show me early on that I that I could deliver under pressure. And I think sometimes people fold under pressure. I deliver under pressure. When someone says I can't do something or someone's getting on me and it, and it kind of feels like I'm being belittled in a sense. I have this factor in me where I want to prove people wrong. I want to elevate. I want to rise to the occasion and not necessarily prove people wrong, but prove myself right about what I know I can do. So um, I think that kind of started that process. OK, so you, you you take that and you have this that you, you're developing this attitude about yourself. Like, right, right. You you function well under pressure. And, and for yeah. me, as a young individual, I can't think of nothing more pressure than when you go off to school. Like when you go off to school and you're in a whole nother land and yeah. you're surrounded by a whole other people. Yes, we know that there's school of hard knocks and all of that. But I'm just talking yeah. about in particular when you go off to school, because what I always tell my mentees is like when you go to college, that's the first time where the letters that come in the mail are for you. It's not the parents of oh, yeah. like they, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's on you. Right. Yeah. So you got this pressure where you applying this pressure to yourself, what are your goals when you step foot on a black college campus? My goals when I stepped on a black college campus was just to learn more about myself. So I had a unique background. Um, I, I've had some diverse experiences, but like I mentioned, when we moved to the Great Lakes of Chicago, we lived in a city called Lake Forest. So um, it's a pretty well-to-do you know, community, um, you know, Hallis Hall where the Bears practice, you know, it's not too far away. I went to school with, you know, sons and daughters of, you know, Chicago Bears coaches, Chicago Bulls players, things of that nature. And, um, you know, but I was one of the few black people in the school, you know, just to be honest, you know what I'm saying? So really, I feel like I went through this period in high school where I was recognizing that there were differences about me. You know, of course, you recognize the similarities just being people. But I recognized that there were there was something more that I was missing, you know, a piece of my identity that I was missing. Right. And I noticed that certain things when they laughing about Seinfeld and stuff like that. And I'm just like, yeah, OK, cool. You know, I'm watching Martin and stuff like that. Right. So and, you know, just the, the women that I the girls that I was attracted to were different. You know, I like black women. You know, I like women of color. So, I mean, I'm just keeping it real. So um, I just noticed little things about myself. And when I went to Howard, it was just a breath of fresh air. And, you know, to me, it kind of dispelled many of the stereotypes that we hear about our people. 
you know, because we met people from all different backgrounds, you know, like from all different corners, not only of the United States, but of the world. So you meet them black people from, you know, Amsterdam, from Toronto, Canada, from Compton, from New York City, from New Orleans, Alaska, Alaska, you know, Brazil, <laughs> you know, Cuba. So it's just like it was just amazing to me. It just opened up a whole new world and just showed me like, wow, there's things about us that I didn't know. And then in the midst of learning about my people and learning about, you know, other cultures within the African diaspora, it helped to uncover different passions and different, you know, aspects of my life that I didn't know and I was unable to tap into previously. So that's really what I got from attending Howard, man, just seeing the beauty of our people, the intelligence of our people, um, you know, just the resilience of our people. And then finally being in a place where our history was celebrated and we could learn about it and have a sense of pride in who we were. You know, that's really what I got from attending Howard. What's a what's a young Ivan majoring in when he's at Howard? A young like, what's, what's your major? My major was broadcast journalism and I minored in Spanish. OK. And are you thinking at that time you're about to use this as a career? Like because you seem to always have had this kind of perspective that you just was talking about of applying pressure and you're going to accomplish these goals. Was your mindset then is like, this is where I'm about to go to? Um, kind of, you know, um, so really I got a taste of the media through my dad, you know, who was a long-term, long-time journalist. He wrote for like the Chicago Tribune, the New Jersey Star-Ledger, Boston Globe, you know, when we moved around and things of that nature. And, um, you know, so that's really where I got my taste of media and just kind of experiencing him moving around, interviewing different types of people. You know, I felt like, you know, the media is great. You know, you meet people from all different walks of life and you really uncover different aspects of their lives. And you kind of have to be knowledgeable about a lot of different topics. So I have to admit that, you know, the influence with the media space kind of came from my dad. And honestly, my dad went to Howard. That's not why I went. But. You know, he went to Howard and then um, just being on the campus, I'm just like, wow, you know, it just took it to a whole another level. But, yeah, that's kind of how I got introduced to the press, because honestly, when I was in high school, I was thinking about being a marine biologist, man. I wanted to be the black Jacques Cousteau, to be honest. So, you know, I grew up watching National Geographic and, you know, Discovery Channel and stuff like that, you know, and I just loved animals growing up. So really, um, you know, I wanted to be a marine biologist. But, um, you know, I guess that influence you know, my dad's a marine biologist. What? Like, you know, sometimes, you know, it just doesn't register, you know, with your parents and things of that nature. But I did find that I do love media and that's kind of what directed, you know, me towards that. And then I pursued that, um, you know, throughout Howard. But then it changed towards the end of my collegiate career where I went toward the PR side as opposed to, um, you know, broadcast journalism, you know, being on TV or writing articles. Now I pitch the stories. I bring the talent to the different outlets. So tell me, how does when you hear about the definition of, of PR, public relations, yeah. and this is just me speaking that yeah. sometimes I feel like it's like a lost art because people oh, yeah. feel like they can just go on IG Live and right. they can promote and they can market themselves. When you first got introduced to PR, did you have a clear understanding or did your definition change? 
Oh, my definition has changed over the time. You know, I've been working in PR for almost 16 years now. But, you know, in the beginning, I just knew your responsibility was to make things happen for people. I knew that when you typically see, you know, business leaders or you see, uh, you know, a social justice leader or a celebrity, you know, doing an interview on television or something like that. I knew that a publicist was behind making that happen, you know, making the connections for people. So that was initially, you know, when you go. Most people, when they think of PR, they just think of, you know, doing anything for press and just, you know, being in the midst of drama and all of those things, you know. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, there's different aspects of PR. And I've learned that around my journey where, you know, you can work with business leaders, you can work in education, you can work in social justice, or you can work with reality TV stars. You know, it really just depends. But um, what I learned is that PR, you're a mouthpiece for your client, you know, so they can only be in one place at one time, but your responsibility is to articulate their message, to articulate their voice, their passions, their concerns in a clear and concise manner to the general public. And uh, so with public relations, the operative word is relations. So we help to build relationships on behalf of our clients with members of the media, with members of the nonprofit sector, corporations, members of the general public, and we position them in front of their target audiences so that they can elevate their brand, so that they can sell products or whatever it is they're looking to do. Uh, that's really our focus. And then strategic partnerships is a major part of it, just connecting them with brands and with individuals that align with their brands. And did you have a job as soon as you came out working in PR? Like, how did how did how did you get into it in the beginning? Uh, I got into it actually by doing some internships. Um, <clears throat> I had an internship at this uh, small boutique PR agency called QRS New Media right on U Street. Um, I worked with this uh, other marketing company called GMMB. And then prior to right when I was graduating, my dad actually launched a PR agency out of Chicago. So um, instead of going and working for somebody else, you know, I became a media relations specialist for his company, you know, writing the press releases, securing the interviews for clients, um, you know, doing research, all of those things. And I actually worked with my dad for about six and a half years. Was those the seeds that were planted in you about entrepreneurship or did you always have it? No, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. You know, even when I first started off in Howard, you know, I wanted to, you know, um, start my own magazine. Um, you know, I was looking at um, having my own TV show. You know, I used to really like um, Ed Gordon, who was on BET Tonight, real smooth brother. You know, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to have my own show. I wanted to and um, kind of a mix between him and um, uh, Anthony Bourdain. Right. Where I'm traveling all around the world. His job just seemed amazing to me. So I wanted to do something like that. Just documenting cultures, interviewing interesting people from all around the world and maybe just having my own show and pitching it to a network or something like that. So um, the entrepreneurial aspect was always there for me. But, you know, um, I learned a lot about that process by working alongside my dad, seeing him put out fires, seeing him having to grow a company, hiring managing budgets, all of those things, you know, I learned that I learned a great deal more working, working with him. And that's 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 dope, too, because your father came up, your father was working media. So that yeah. transition from working media, knowing yeah. how it is and then starting his own makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. For you, for you, when you was working with your pops, how long did you work with him before you started to branch off on your own? Uh, so I worked with him for about six and a half years. Um, and, you know, his company, um, which still exists, it's in Chicago. 
is uh, actually uh, focused more so in, in the political space, social justice and healthcare. So I work with, you know, different leaders, you know, whether it's Reverend Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton or Bobby Rush running for mayor or, you know, the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, you know, companies like that, um, which were great. Um, but I think as I move forward, I just discovered that that wasn't my passion. All great clients, you know, I learned a great deal about it. But when I branched off, you know, I just felt that there was a part of me that I wasn't tapping into. And I think part of the mistake, which I help address through my organization, um, is, you know, a lot of us, you know, we really never truly find our passions or what our purpose is because we're living, you know, on the trajectory that somebody else has kind of mapped out for us. And you can end up, you know, being in a position where you have resentment or you're just not happy because you're living somebody else's dreams or their goals for your life. And, um, you know, that's kind of how I felt, you know, love my dad to death. But, you know, sometimes our parents have goals for us that we don't necessarily have for ourselves. And um, as you become an adult, it's your responsibility because your dad ain't going to take the blame for you not accomplishing your goals later on. It's like, yo, you grown, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't blame your pops later on down the road. And and you shouldn't. You know, at some point, you got to discover, you know, what's best for you. And as an adult, you got to make the right decisions. So um, eight years ago, uh, actually, it's going on nine years ago, I started my own company, Intrigue Media Group. Tell me how that, I mean... And you don't have to if you don't want to. But how did that conversation go? Because you just laid out your parents. They have this plan. I right. mean, you work in father and son. Yeah, you yeah, go yeah. to your father. Do you say, hey, listen, I quit. Or towards the end, does he understand? Like, is he starting to see it? Like, how does that how does that happen? Uh, he's very proud of me now. You know, um, let's just say that. But uh, hey, those conversations are never easy. You know, and sometimes, unfortunately, they arise from, you know, periods of contention. Right. So it's just like, man, I'm just not happy. You know what I'm saying? Like my and then it's because you're working for a family business. You know, that's why everyone family businesses are beautiful. And I think that it's very important, you know, especially with regards to building generational wealth. But it's not easy and it's not for the faint of heart, because my experience was more so, hey, like when we going through struggles. Like you got to struggle, too. It's the family business. You know what I'm saying? So. If you can't get paid this month, then, you know, you, you're my son. Come on, you got to ride this wave with me. So, you know, as I'm looking, and those are natural parts of of business. And I experienced it on my own. My thing was just like, hey, if I'm going to be broke and struggling, I'd rather do it on my own, to be honest. But, you know, like, you know, we went through periods of, you know, just tough conversations, right? But I think he really understood. And I knew that he was going to be upset with me uh, when I first you know, said, hey, you know, I'm going to move in another direction because he had goals for how it was supposed to look. Um, but, you know, I just said, hey, you know, like, I feel like there's, you know, an aspect that you're not allowing me to tap into because you have this idea of who you want me to be. And I feel like, you know, my goals and my dreams and my vision for my life is being submerged because of what you want for me. And, um, you know, and I knew that, I could be who I wanted to be, but I felt like, you know, I had to create the life that I wanted for myself. Nobody else could do it for me. So um, it was tough. Long story short. Okay. Very tough. So, so, so nine years ago, young yeah. Ivan says, I want to do my own thing. What's the first move? Cause a lot of people say, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to start my own company. What yeah. was the first move? The first move was uh, getting an LLC. That was my first move. 
um, and I moved immediately. Um, you know, called somebody who I knew worked on websites while I'm waiting for my LLC. I'm getting my website designed, right? And um, and I had very little money. I had maybe like twenty five hundred dollars to my name um, at this at this point. And uh, so the first thing I did was LLC website and business cards. Those are the first things that I did. And then um, I was actually living in Florida at the time, this small town called Palm Coast, Florida. It's like, you know, vacation, you know, retirement community and stuff like that, right? Um, I moved down there um, and my mom was down there at the time and I just wanted to be near the beach. But um, yeah, I'm working with small time clients, man. I'm picking up clients for like $250 a month. Like I'm running, up, running myself ragged but I needed that process, though. I needed it. I needed to be broke. I needed to be working my tail off with clients who are dodging me for $250 a month. Like, I needed that process because it made me hungry and it made me go through, the, you know, have to have resilience, right? Which is absolutely critical for being an entrepreneur and learning how to budget, learning how to make sacrifices. And what I did was I just, even though I was getting paid no money, I was getting press coverage for these small town, you know, little entrepreneurs, man. And then once you do that, other people see what you're doing and they start reaching out. So not until um, I got married to my wife, who I met in Jacksonville, uh, Florida, she was at grad school um, at the time. And she got a job up in Atlanta and I'm like, yo, we need to go to Atlanta. You know, my cousin was begging me to come to Atlanta, went up to Atlanta uh, and I'm just doing research, man. Looking at events, saw an event that um, at the time uh, Mayor Kasim Reed, you know, was doing, um, who is also a Howard alum, you know, but Mayor Kasim Reed down in Atlanta, you know, I saw events. I'm going networking. I'm setting up meetings with, you know, the program director at radio stations and I'm just making connections getting the word out about what I do. And gradually I start bringing on these clients. Right. And it still was a process, but that's when I finally started to recognize, like, I'm skilled at this. You know, I have vision. I have the vision that it takes to succeed. I have the hunger that it takes to succeed. I'm a person that if I'm on my last dime, if I'm on my last thread, I'm never going to give up. There's only an option A. There is no option B. And I've just lived by that, you know, my entire life since. Is there a defining moment or client where you started to see the shift? Yeah. Where you elevated? Yeah. Um, there's a client. I'm not going to list his name. We're good friends. Um, but there's a client that I was working with and great client, you know, um, but we had a little falling out. Right. And what I recognized was that I was actually he was a crutch. Right. Like he he actually constituted a very good portion of my business. And me severing ties with him just for that short period of time made me recognize that, hey, like you're actually relying on this client to to move, you know, to grow, to uh, keep your company afloat. And and to a degree, the client felt that. Right. So sometimes when you're working with people, it's like, hey, you know, he needs me in order to keep going. So I'm like, you know what? You can never let somebody know that you need them that much. You know, and when you do that, you become kind of imprisoned by that situation. So I had to break away. And as soon as I broke away, I'm picking up client after client after client, project after project after project. And I'm just like and it just kind of opened my eyes a little bit 
about how I needed to do business. That's one example. Another example was a terrible experience I had where there's this client who, you know, I'm getting her all over the place, you know, Black Enterprise, Essence, Black Doc, she was a doctor. Just flaked on my money, flaked on my money right before Christmas. You know what I'm saying? And at this time, you know, I'm married. Um, you know, I just had uh, my second child with my wife. And, um, you know, it was tough, man. It was tough navigating that period. And but, you know, I had to I picked up a client that really it was just like a commission thing. And I'm working like I'm working like 18, 19, 20 hours a day, just up all night, barely making any money. Right. But I pushed through that process and eventually it led to an opportunity. And then I grew from there. And it's just like really some of the negative things that happen in your career is actually what propels you to the next level. You just got to learn from it, okay? Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's somebody else's fault, but you got to learn. What did I do wrong? What should I have done differently? Whether they they did something to you or not, you got to learn because you always have a role to play in it. Either you're the reason for that problem or you allowed something to happen that shouldn't have happened. You got to figure that out about yourself so that you can adjust. You know, we often see blueprints for other people, like, you know, lawyers, Everyone knows as a lawyer, you got to go to law school for a certain amount of years. Yeah, yeah. Um, even pro players, pro basketball players or football players, they can always look back at, at a former athlete and say, man, that person did this. I'm not going to do this or I'm going to do this. There, there's some type of blueprint. What is the historical blueprint as a PR person, especially a young Ivan who's being an entrepreneur? What's up? And, and more importantly, honestly, like a black, like what, what are you looking at to say, Yo, I'm going to follow this script or not follow this script. What are you looking at? Um, what I'm looking at is people's reputations, right? Um, you are your reputation. And, and in this industry, I think if you destroy your reputation or if you're sloppy, you're unprofessional, you know, it's going to catch up to you. So, you know, I really pride myself on having a really stellar reputation, number one, and always treating people with respect. You know, you got people in the industry who, you know, sometimes, you know, they're on their high horse, you know, or they don't treat people the right way. And it comes back because I believe, you know, in the media space, the entertainment space, they're really small worlds, man. If you're really handling your business, you're going to run into people again. So you've got to be careful with how you treat people. And then I would say definitely for any PR professional, like your writing has to be tight. Uh, you have to have confidence. Um, you have to master the art of communication. That's extremely important because again, you're the mouthpiece for your clients. And then second of all, confidence is extremely important. And um, you know that's why I work with other people to develop their confidence because confidence can be the difference in you being here or being up here, just your confidence, just how you project yourself, just how people receive you can be the difference between success and a lack of success. Um, so those are things that I would say, hey, whatever you got to do to work on your on your confidence, do that so that no matter who you're talking to, the CEO of a company, a celebrity, it doesn't matter. You got to be confident and, and sure of what you do. You have to know your industry, be an expert so that you can communicate that and then just treat people well, man. And I think lots of times, um, if I have had a little disagreement with the client, they always come back because they know I'm a man of integrity. You know, I'm always going to, you know, make sure that I treat people right and I work my tail off. So, um, it's never been somebody who hasn't tried to come back or wants to come back or that, you know, we've repaired, you know, in some way, the relationship just because those are, you know, many of the traits that, you know, I hold dear to. That's dope. I mean, you play so much a, an important role in the background where, 
if you work in the industry, people know how valuable a PR person is, but majority of the public don't know. But then you go on this journey, things are working for you, and then you decide to write a book. Yeah. Meaning you are now someone who has to step in the front. Right. Describe that process. Oh, that's it's challenging. It's it's funny because you do so much talking, but yeah, when you got to do these interviews and stuff, it's still even weird. And I've done a number of interviews over the past couple of years. It's still kind of strange to me because you're so used to representing other people. But yeah, man, I wrote the book, uh, Defy Gravity, Unleashing Your Greatness Within, uh, really for the purpose of helping people from all different backgrounds to overcome adversity. So, um, you know, I didn't share every aspect of my life, but, you know, there's various challenges, many that, you know, environmental challenges, many things based on your, your level of or lack of confidence or self-awareness or whatever. And then many people just being misdirected. And so um, now I'm in the forefront talking about that and sharing some of the success principles that I share in my book about, you know, how to um, identify your gifts, how to uncover your gifts, right? How to figure out what your purpose is, you know, how to develop a success mindset. You know, you have so many individuals who are, are, you know, there's people who love their job. So my focus isn't telling people not to work for somebody else or whatever. That's not really the focus of my book, but I'm talking to the person who's miserable in their job. They're actually entrapped by their job. You know, they hate it, but they're doing it every day just because they feel that they have to, right? I'm talking to the mother who, you know, is working for this company slaving, but she really wants to start her own business. I'm talking about the person who's been told their whole lives they can't do something and they haven't taken the time to look deep within themselves to figure out who am I, what are my gifts, what, what's my purpose for being on here? Most people don't believe they have a purpose. So everybody has a purpose. Everyone has a gift and something that they can be extraordinary at. We just haven't recognized it. So most people live a life of mediocrity. So um, just a little glimpse into my background. I was one of those kids who's always smart. Right. But the common theme with all of my teachers, not all of them, but many of my teachers was that, man, I've been so smart. He could do this only if he did that. You know, he has so much potential. And I got to a point where I started to resent the word potential because all it meant to me was that I was capable of doing something, but I wasn't doing it. And lots of times, even working with my dad, I would hear potential all the time. You're not quite there yet. You're almost there, but not quite. I would hear that all the time. And I had to make up in my mind, you know what? I am there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm ready. I'm going to do it. Anything that I'm capable of doing. I can do. Okay. And that's where that's me watching. We talked about motivation. You know, I'm watching Eric E.T. Thomas. I'm watching Tony Robbins. I'm watching Grant Cardone. I'm looking at Floyd Mayweather, just seeing how we went throughout his career. I'm looking at The Rock, you know, who aspired to play football at the University of Miami, but he just wasn't good enough. And then his dad tried to talk him out of going into wrestling. But he said, you know what? That's what I really want to do. He did it. He followed his dreams, became a, a mega star. And now he's one of the biggest stars in the film industry. But that's somebody who was always told you're not quite good enough. You know, on a 50 man roster, he was 51. And I was used to not in the sports world, but I feel with other things in my life, I was always a person who had potential, but I wasn't quite there and I got tired of it. So I want to walk people through having potential. And recognizing that they can 
operate at a completely higher level simply by changing their mindset and their belief system, changing their environment and who they're around, because lots of times people project their doubts, their fears, and their insecurities onto you, and you start to take that on. Why? Because you're not sure of who you are. You don't understand your purpose and why you're here. And when you don't understand your purpose, you're on you're going on the wrong path because your purpose places you specifically on the trajectory that you are supposed to be on. And that's what my whole focus with my book is helping people to do that. And then we talk about other things like the power of networking, the power of branding, building your personal brand equity so that people take you seriously. So like I said with you, you know, we talked a little bit about your background, you know, not too long ago when we caught up. And um but I told you that from what I know about you, you're the same person. You always carried yourself in a certain way. You always spoke like an adult to me. Even when everybody else on campus is acting immature, my only vision of you is just being this like nice, composed guy who was sure of himself, spoke with confidence, and you sound the exact same today. And because that's how I know you, regardless of what you've been through in your past, that's my vision of you. So you have the opportunity, regardless of what you've gone through, how immature or misdirected you might have been in your past, when you walk through a door today, you have the opportunity to decide how you're perceived. You, you're, you're the author of your life. And I decided I was going to be the author of my life when I started my business. And that's what people need to do in order to tap into their greatness. I mean, who knew I was gonna need all that confidence when I lost my hair? But you're right. I hey, appreciate that. Man, you know I what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, who? I mean, who knew? Who knew? Hey, but now, I, I re- now they love ball men. You know, look at we right, right. Those, but I, I received that, brother. So you know, thank you very much for that. And um, you you kind of was heading in that direction. But I, I want to ask you just to be clear. What was something you were learning about yourself while you were writing this book? Because you spent a lot of time, you spent a lot of time investing in other people, getting them to that point. Now you in your stride, what are you learning about yourself as you write in Defy Gravity? Um, I'm learning the power of uh, just having that vision and sticking to it, right? Discipline. I mean, even as I was writing the book, I was still writing to myself, right? Because I'm not where I want to be yet, right? I'm growing, I'm climbing, I'm seeing constant elevation, but I'm still not there. I know that there's another gear that personally I could hit, right? So as I'm talking about the discipline and I'm talking about the fortitude, you know, it's times where I'm like, yo, you got to wake up at a different time, brother, or you got to, even though you don't want to do this, you have to do it. Not even if it's just career, but it might be physical, right? So like right now I'm on this journey, just I'm just eating good. I'm working out six times a week and I'm just like, hey, like I want to tap into a higher gear. You know, mind, body and soul. Right. And just be more disciplined with that. Uh, Even things, um, for example, you know, I wrote in my book how lots of times um, the downfall for many successful men is their relationships. Right. So, you know, many men, as they're looking to build a legacy, you know, they are focused on being excellent. Extraordinary in the professional realm. They're rich in the professional realm, but they're bankrupt in their personal life because of how they deal with their wife or how they deal. Their kids don't respect them because of what they, how they treated them or treated their mother. But you're putting on this great face for society. You're a great businessman, right? So even those things, I was talking to myself like, yo, like I'm married now. I've been married for uh, eight plus years. And um, 
you know, been with my uh, wife for 10 years, but it's just like every day I'm just striving to be the best. So part of that, part of defying gravity is defying all of the things that make you a, a lesser person than you can be. I want to be a great husband. I want my I want my kids not only to be my dad was successful. He was a visionary. He started his own businesses. But I want them to genuine genuinely have liked me. You know what I'm saying? Like and loved their dad. Like you know, hey, like my dad was great. You know what I'm saying? He always supported our dreams. You know, he was nurturing. He was there. He was present. Like those are the things that in my book I also talk about that I think are extremely important. That oftentimes we neglect because you know right now we got this whole high value man, high value woman conversations and all of these things, right? And I mean I hate to break it to you fellas, but just making money don't make you high value. You know what I'm saying? I mean that's just what I believe. Okay? Being successful, being able to take care of and protect your family, you know, protect your community, be there for your kids, you know, not be a dirtbag, all of those things make you a high value man. You know, so I just strive to be you know, and I don't try to preach, but, you know, I just try to live based on what I believe is right. You know what I'm saying? And I learned a lot about what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, also just, you know, it, it kind of my book motivates me to stay on it because I can't be Mr. Defy Gravity and be teaching other people and not being an example. So I pride myself. I'm not perfect, but I pride myself on being an example. And the book helped me to do that. That's cool, man. Let's let's take a moment for that because I, I want people to know that this is what you do. So let's take a little moment because you you mentioned this earlier about the book. Right. Express or give an example if you can how your environment can really control your outcome. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, environment is one of the most important things because as human beings, we are very social creatures, right? And we're creatures of habit. So. When you go through a routine or a habit of being around people who aren't elevating their lives, who aren't focused on positivity, who aren't educating themselves, you're just going to fall in line. You could be the bright apple out of the group, but you're never truly going to reach your potential. Okay, so what I did that was very important for me and lots of people are too egotistical or too self-centered to put themselves in positions where they're not the smartest, they're not the, the richest, right? And that's something that helped me to elevate my business, just seeing kind of the habits of successful people, the habits of multimillionaires, right? And of course, you're, you're, it's not about becoming somebody else, but it's about just taking the positive things that you can add into your life and, and making yourself the best possible person. So environment is extremely important. Who you surround yourself with is important. And I talk about that in the book about how people project their values, their fears, their doubts, their insecurities onto you. And then they become your insecurities when maybe they weren't before, right? Or you don't think you're capable of doing something because somebody else doesn't think it's possible for them. So you hold yourself back, you know? We deal with that a lot. You know, I have a son who just turned 13 and he's coming back. You know, he was wearing some uh, he was wearing some bands to school. He said some kids were clowning him because he wasn't wearing Jordans, Right. And I'm just, So now he's bugging me about Jordan. And I'm just like, you know what, man, you're looking fly right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not I, I can get you some Jordans, but why do you really want the Jordans? You know, and it's not about that. He really wants them. It's about everybody else has it or everybody else likes Roblox. Right. Like people fall in line with what everybody else does. So your environment can kind of dictate what you like. 
Most of the time, kids don't even like half of the stuff that they're doing, but they like it because it's popular in school. So then everybody likes the same games. Everybody plays the same games. And I think that we take that in with us into adulthood. But also, um, and this might kind of be a different point, but it just reminded me of something that I talk about in the book, is that I want adults. Now, while there's the peer pressure and the social element that kids don't understand when it comes to becoming themselves, lots of times with adults, we lose sight of who we were as kids. Because when you are a kid, you're in your most genuine stage, right? So what I recognize, remember I told you that I, I liked to be, I wanted to be a marine biologist when I grew up. I completely like lost touch with nature, stuff that made me feel good, right? Just even, just in general, just stuff that was really who I was when I grew up and I became something else based off of what seemed to be the thing to be in society as far as like mindset and stuff. And I said, you know what, I got to get back. I was, there was a period where I was not happy in my life and I was wondering why. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm not taking the time to really do things that I enjoy. Just get outside, you know, go to the park, take a jog, ride a bike, you know, just hear the birds chirp. You know, I'm always in the office. I'm always running around, connecting and at every event, every meeting. But you got to take the time to place yourself in environments that make you not just make you feel good as far as like, you know, instant gratification, but that clear your clear your head. I need to be at the beach. I need to feel the water. You know, all of those things. And once I got in touch with that, it helped me as well. So I think um environment is crucial. Um environment is crucial. And um, you know, everybody should just take the time to really just remember who they are. Sometimes the world can can take you away from who you are. Sometimes you just need that reminder. And in order to get there, it requires self-reflection. You got to be alone sometimes. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up about your son, because what I want to ask you, too, in your from your your professional space, it feels on the outside that only black people got to have this amount of loyalty when it comes to relationships and our paths. It's like we we. We're the ones that's like have this obligated, like before we even get started, they're like, well, how are you giving back? And you right. ain't even got your first check yet. Right. right, right, right. And, I, I, and, and I remember for me how things were starting to become different once I actually graduated from college and I started having a life, you know, in D.C. and New York. And my life was completely different from how I lived and came up in Detroit. Yeah. When, when you I mean, is I mean, and, and listen, if, if I'm wrong, please tell me. Is that something from your experience that all clients go to go through or if you see it in our community also as well, that it becomes a struggle to disconnect from those relationships that are just not healthy for you? Yeah, well, I believe, you know, with clients, uh, with me and just in general, like, you, you know, whether it's these pro athletes that you see just doing things like, bro, like, come on, dog, like you're the face of the NBA, you know what I'm saying? And it's like. You can't let go of the past. And it's not necessarily, you know, sometimes I always think back to when people say sometimes your friends are for certain situations, right? You can't you can't be in every situation with every type of person, right? You know the person that when you're going through something in your life and you're struggling, you don't need the jokester around. I mean, depending on the situation, the person cracking jokes when you really need some perspective and some serious advice might not be the right person. When you're trying to handle your business, the guy who just likes to play the video games all day is not the right person. That doesn't mean you completely have to cut them off, 
but you kind of have to regulate your time, to how you distribute yourself differently. And I think a lot of people struggle with that to where the wrong people are in the wrong environments, right? And, you know, sometimes you lose friends when you have to articulate that to them, but then sometimes you can let people know, like, hey, like, this is where I'm going, bro, like, I care about you, but, you know, this is what I'm trying to do, I can't be doing that, you know, so I want to hang out with you, but, you know, and you can try to bring them up, sometimes they might be reluctant, or they might just be like, man, forget it, you change, right, you gotta, you gotta cut them loose, but I think there's some relationships where, you just have to know how to distribute your time differently. And I have friends who like to turn up. If I need to let loose, when I'm just, you know, always in work mode, sometimes, you know, it's like, hey, man, let's let's do something. You know what I'm saying? But if I need to be focused, I know exactly who I need to talk to. You know, if I'm feeling, if I'm lacking motivation, I know who I need to be around. It's something about, like, for example, you've been in New York City, right? So there's something about New York. I don't care how long I've been gone. As soon as I touch the ground in New York, I'm like in go mode. You just feel like you can't be wasting time just standing around. It's like as soon as you hit the ground, you got to go because everybody's moving. Everyone has some place to be. Everyone's doing something. And I think that's what life is like. You know, when you need motivation or when you need to step your game up, you need to put yourself in a in a New York type of environment where you got to hustle and you got to get things together. And I feel a lot of people don't know how to navigate that. So sometimes they fumble the bag. They fumble the opportunities because they don't know. Yeah. It, no, no, no. You did because I, I'm thinking, right, you might also because I feel as if there's certain things that might be in plain sight. Like you said, you can't take the friend who turns up everywhere, right. right? And I think that might be a little bit more plain sight. Yeah. But I also like to point out that there are things that are a little bit small and underneath where you get yourself, a brother who actually does this, and I hire you to be my public relations, and you might start pointing out things right. that I don't see. Like yeah. these, these, you know, because you might say, hey, listen, change your shirt up and do this. And then there's always like a negative comment going around. And I don't think people understand how much even those can weigh on you. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, yeah. I definitely have clients where you're advising something for their own good and they're self-destructing right in front of your face because they just don't want to listen. They're caught in their old ways or they're focused on the perception of them. Um, you know, yeah, I don't like to really put out names. You know, I definitely wouldn't do that. But, you know, I can definitely think of situations where they're in the public eye and, you know, they beefing with a family member or something like that. And it's just and they're just riding that wave and, you know, just carrying themselves a certain way to try to prove themselves that they better than their sibling or something like that. And it's like, yo, calm it down. Just focus on the positive things. You've got two businesses that you're working on. Focus on elevating the business. Do you really want to be you want to be reality TV or do you want to be a respected business owner? Which one? Right. And some people don't know. Some people are really talented. But because they're caught up in this clout society, they can't focus on just pushing what's positive about them, you know. And then the negative stuff overshadows it. And I do see people so many times where it's like they self-destruct because of the people that they're around. Or like I said, sometimes it's self-inflicted, right? Sometimes it's your own self-limiting belief. Some people are so talented, but they can't even see it. So they hold themselves back, you know, and that's a tragedy. And sometimes, but there's times where, you know, I have a lot of clients, thankfully now, where they listen to my advice because they know that I have their best interests. They really want to succeed. And there's things that you have to do 
especially in this world, social media world, the, the media, all of these things, like your reputation and your brand equity is important. If you if you make the wrong moves, you can completely derail all the work that you've been putting in for years. And I try to make sure that people prevent that. That And that leads me to asking about, because you didn't just write the book, Defy Gravity. You went and you started an organization for for youth. You know, describe that transition. Oh, yeah. Well, that was just a natural. No, it wasn't. It was a natural progression, but it was because I was operating in my purpose. I didn't know that I was going to start that organization. I didn't know I was going to be, you know, working with organizations in Africa and getting a presidential lifetime achievement award at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. These are things that because I stuck to my purpose, naturally, like I said, when you're following your purpose, you're going to be positioned on the path that you're supposed to be on, right? But lots of times we have this plan for what we're going to do with our lives. But as you continue to move, you're going to recognize the things that you never even thought of doing that wasn't even a part of the plan. They actually are part of the plan, right? But it comes it comes from there, not from you. So I think that um once I once I wrote the book, I'm just like it can't stop here. You know what I'm saying? Um, even just the name Defy Gravity when it came to me, I'm like, wow, that's just it. That's what I've been doing in life right now is defying gravity. Anybody who is successful in life who's overcome trials and tribulations has has defied gravity. Gravity is a force that holds you down. So it can be your surroundings, it could be, you know, self-inflicted wounds, it could be tragedies, whatever it is, you know, they overcame that to get to wherever they are. And I'm like, you know what? This needs to be an organization, Defy Gravity. Came up with the logo and I just started booking speaking engagements. I'm like, you know, I'm going to volunteer at this school and speak to these middle schoolers. Or I'm going to go to this high school. You know, I'm going to speak at this entrepreneur conference, this empowerment conference with people who, you know, know that they have something, that they're passionate about doing something, but they don't believe they can do it. Let me show them that they can do it. Let me kind of walk them through when I was doubtful about my own abilities and how I overcame those fears how I overcame those self-limiting beliefs and just took action. Here's how you take action. So what I recognize with kids is usually around the fifth grade, sixth grade, that's where either they're going to get on the path towards success or they can go in a completely opposite way. They start building prisons based off of fifth and sixth graders. They can tell by your test scores and what you're achieving in the fifth and sixth grade at like 12 11, 12, 13 years old, based on how you're performing in school, if you're likely to end up in jail or if you're in, likely to end up somewhere else on a more positive note. So I really make a point to try to touch these kids. For example, Mother's Day weekend, speaking at a youth entrepreneur event. Uh, I'm speaking at another school uh, in Augusta, Georgia. And, you know, that's because teachers reach out and say, hey, you know, we got these young kids, man. They're they're on the burn. We're trying to hold them back from making these bad decisions, but they're in the bathroom smoking joints. They're, you know, they're 13, 14 years old. We need some, a positive force to come in and show them that there's other ways, right? So it just really inspired me to connect with particularly my community, the black community, because we have so much talent, man. We have so much talent, but we pigeonhole ourselves because we fall victim to what the media tells us and we don't understand all of the different ways that you can make money within what you're passionate about. You might not be able to be a basketball player. You know how many other jobs and roles there are in the sports arena that you can tap into and you can still be close to the game? 
Do you understand that you don't have to be the rapper? It's okay to be the videographer or the content creator that everybody wants. And you're working with artists and then you're working with motivational speakers because that's everyone needs content right now. You can be balling right now. You know, so the things that people like to do and they pigeonhole themselves because it's the popular thing. Like I was saying with my son, like it's like everybody likes the same thing. If you're different, they try to make fun of you, but you have to be strong enough. Defy Gravity is about having a mental and emotional fortitude to recognize that you have a gift and a purpose. It doesn't matter what somebody else thinks. You got to stick to what you want to do and go for a full-fledged, and that's how you can be successful. But you also got to understand, you got to tap into yourself and understand what do you really want and who are you really. Because lots of us are trying to be people that we're not, and that's why you know we end up in a completely different arena. And that's where lots of our young black boys are are going right now is just, you know, we're pigeonholing ourselves and because we're falling short in areas we're not even supposed to be operating in, then we find ourselves in trouble. The five gravity is about taking them away from that. How do you, I mean, how do you get the youth to look towards other directions? Because you just mentioned that because yeah. that is, that's all that's advertised, is sports or entertainment. Yeah. And you coming from entertainment, how do you get the youth to look at something that's just not so entertaining? Yeah, well, so that's where we incorporate edutainment. We understand that you can't just come and preach to them and talk to them. You're not doing this right. I'm an expert. Listen to me. No kid wants to hear that, right? So you got to incorporate a little bit of it. So we have performances in the midst of educational and motivational talks, and it's really interactive to where we're sitting there saying, hey, what do you want to be, you know, when you grow up, you know? And we ask them that question. Some of them don't know, so we force them to dig a little deeper. What do you spend your time doing? What do you enjoy doing? Okay, you like playing video games, right? You, you love playing video games. That's fine. Do you know that people actually make money playing video games? Do you know that you can actually create your own video game? Like, we just force them to dig a little deeper, right? So, or lots of times these kids know what they want to do, but you can tell they're shy. They're, they're waiting to see the other responses from the other kids about what their goals are. And, you know, we talk directly to them. You know what? You can't listen to what anybody else says, you know, because most of the things that people think that they want to do now, they're not going to end up doing later. Some people are, but most of the time it's just the peer pressure and it's just you trying to fit in. So we really have engaging conversations with people and we make them feel good about themselves. We help them to recognize that you do have a gift, whether you recognize it or not. So the first thing is really helping them to have a sense of confidence, right? Not just telling them what they're not doing right or the fact that they might be getting bad grades, but helping them to identify the things that they actually are good at, right? And then helping them to see other options within the lane of what they what they say they want to do in the event that, I mean, let's say you get injured or something. Let's say you can't play basketball. But if you really understand the game, you can be an analyst. You know, nowadays, you know, you can become a coach even if you haven't played. It's still tough, but you can do that. You can be a sports agent. Like, there's so many different things that you can do. Or a content creator. Like, all of these athletes have personal brands outside of just playing basketball these days. There's so many different ways that you can be involved. And then we infuse performances and interactive games and stuff for them. So, literally, when it's over, they jumping up, you know, we singing or rapping or something. You know, I have an actual Five Gravity song that we created. So usually in the midst of that, all the students are up on their feet, jumping around, and they feel energized and they want us to come back. But 
at the center of it is really just helping them to recognize that, you know, there's something in them that will allow them to be successful. We empower teachers to kind of, you know, be able to share that message as well. I just got two more, man. And, you know, I won't let you go about your way, but I want people to know that you do this for real. Right. So explain to me and anyone who is listening the importance of the word brand, because I got to tell you, I definitely feel like brand has been the most overused word in the past oh, yeah. 30 years. Like every time somebody do something, they're like, oh, my brand, my brand. And right. I, when I when I hear the word brand, I feel like the way you hear the word potential. I, I instantly get turned off and annoyed. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm instantly on some like I don't have no brand. I'm a voice like, you know, I, yeah. I, I but from your from your experience and in, in working in that. The definition of brand and why it's important. Uh, so first and foremost, your brand is pretty much just how the world knows you, right? Your brand is either how you want to be seen and how, or I should say, how you want to be seen and how you want the world to know you. That's the brand, right? So technically, you are a brand. So whenever you step on TV or you're on the radio, whatever you're talking about, whatever passions you're you're sharing. That is articulating to people what your brand is, right? So it's it's like your it's like your resume, your personal resume. So when you're going out into the world, you know, and that's why it's so critical for people to understand who they want to be and make sure that they don't deviate from that brand, which is why you might have a client, right? You want to be perceived as a business owner. You want to get in these top business sites, but you're acting like a reality TV star. You're fighting on social media and arguing with every single commenter, and that's completely counterproductive to your brand. If you want to be perceived as a business owner, someone who's successful, or let's say you're a 22-year-old you know, female entrepreneur, and you want to be this young lady boss who's respected for what she does, you can't get into that reality TV lane because what I try to tell them is that what you're doing is you're impacting your brand based on the reality TV space or the business space. There's different companies that are going to decide that they want to or don't want to work with you. There's different organizations or individuals that will decide if they want to be affiliated with you or not be affiliated with you. And if you desire to be affiliated or included in certain conversations, you have to conduct yourself as such. Right. So when I look at you, you know, as the host of a show, somebody who, you know, has really intellectual conversations. If I see Jay just on social media, turning up every day, drinking, taking shots, acting stupid, toting guns on social media, I'm like, yo, what is this brother doing? Like, that's not your brain. Right. So, I mean, that's really what it is. It's kind of a broad word. But really what people want to do is they want to establish brand equity through activity. Right. So when you say, Ivan, you're somebody who really does what he says he's doing, you can see that unveiled in a variety of different places, whether it's my social media. You can see you can see images or videos of me speaking to you, me giving motivational or inspiring messages, me out navigating certain spaces with my clients. You can Google me and read articles of my books and the work that I'm doing and the work that I've done in the PR space and speaking. And then when I appear on interviews such as this, you know, I'm pretty much reinforcing the things that I'm doing in every other space. That's my brain. So if I'm going out there trying to be gangster, or I'm going out there doing something completely counterproductive to what I said Defy Gravity is all about, then you know he's phony, you know, and then I'm going to damage my brain. So you are the brain. That's the best way that I can put it. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I like to think that your brand should be closest to you as possible. Because one thing I say about you, you know, me and Ivan met up for wings, and that brother showed up in the three piece, and he was for real. You know, I'm just letting you know. I had on like a, a comic book shirt. I felt so underdressed, but he was comfortable. He was real. Like that's that's who he is. That's that's who my brother is. He's a sharp dresser. Like it ain't for play. I'm letting Bro, you know I that like, brother. Hey, I like Ninja Turtles too, brother. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I like them too. That that brother does it. I just I'm just saying. Yeah. But it's it's comfortable to see somebody that's who they are. That's that's yeah. for me and how I look at it. It's comfortable yeah. for that. My my yeah. last question I gotta ask you. If you got a client that is going through a public crisis, right? right. You think about because you mentioned it. You, you mentioned it. You th- you know waving a gun like John, ja, you know John ja Morant, you know, or what we see, you know, Jonathan Majors going through. In really short, what's the first thing you're telling your client to do? First thing I'm telling my client is to be quiet. Number one, you know, because lots of times, I mean, for example, you know, now that we mentioned it, Ja, you know, for example, like. Even after the first snafu, you know, he's kind of doing other stuff. And then on social media with his friends in the backyard, just it's like, bro, get off of social media, chill for a second. Let's sit down and let's go over your brand. Okay, let me let's give you some perspective here. Okay, you are becoming the face of the NBA, brother. Okay, it might be responsibility that you didn't ask for, but this is a unique opportunity that. 0.1% 0.1% of the population could ever aspire to be in, right? So number one, stop posting on social media. Let's figure out what you want out of this, okay? Clearly, you're currently getting paid. You have endorsement deals. You're primed to be on all types of commercials. You're a superstar, and you're not, really not from that life, okay? So at the end of the day, let's figure out what you want to get out of this. Take that down, and then I need you to listen to me, okay, as your publicist who you hire to manage your public public image. That's one of the most challenging things right there. You have people, they hire you, but they don't always want to listen. You know, lots of times they're stubborn, but you hired me to be a consultant to advise you on how to navigate situations. So this is what you need to do. You need to apologize and take full accountability for what you did. You need to stay off of social media. You need to focus on the playoffs. You need to play well and re-ingratiate yourself with the audience. And then we got to, I mean, with that, you just got to, you just got to stay even keel, man. And we got to try to repair these relationships with some of these brands. Um, And that's what you got to do. You know, crisis communications is really like, that's where the money is, you know, in PR, you know, because people are willing to spend big bucks when, you know, they're in a crisis, right? Like anything in a crisis, like you're desperate, right? But I don't with his situation, you know, he made some bad decisions, but I think he can rebound from it. You know, as long as the people around him are telling him to just stay cool, focus on the game, you know, manage who you're around and what you're doing. um, I think he'll be okay. Now, um, there are some other people out there where it's just like, you know, they're just train wrecks. Right. And I think um, sometimes I mean, and then the publicist has to actually sever ties with them because, again, I don't work with anybody who doesn't align with my brain. So I think lots of times, and here's the mistake a lot of publicists make, you just want the high-profile client, right? I will pass up a high-profile client in a second. Let me tell you something. Somebody came and asked me if I wanted to represent R. Kelly. During the whole situation, I said, no. He's like, bro, you know how much money you can make right now? I said, I don't care, bro. Like, that's not even something that I can put myself in. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, 
also, you know, there's like whenever you're working on something, and this is for client and for a publicist, like you have to work with people who align with who you want to be. They align with your brand. We compromise our, our companies. We compromise our integrity by for money lots of times. And you can't do that. If you as long as you work with integrity and you stay consistent with your brand and who you are, you're going to find there's over 7 billion people on this planet. You're going to find a client. You're going to find somebody who's right for you if you're patient and you stay consistent. And that's that's the biggest thing that I can say for somebody, um, you know, in this industry is stay consistent. Know know who you want to work with. And it could change, but just know the value system that you have in place and always operate under that. It, let, me, let me just get one thing off really quickly because you, you, you talked about it, but you take, for example, with actor Jonathan Majors, who a month ago was being praised, had two movies that came out, Ant-Man and Creed 3. Everybody was praising him. And then allegedly he put his hands on an alleged girlfriend. And now we're seeing his company leave and all these other things. Right. And for me, me, for me as a, as a person, no matter who you are, I always wait for enough facts to come in. Right. right? So, number one, I can already see to what you just said. Somebody told him to be quiet because that brother ain't said nothing, right? But there always have been this talk amongst the community that when a black man gets to a certain level, all of a sudden, here come the vipers. Can you speak on that from a professional point? Does that actually, or have you seen things or been in a room where there actually have been things that have created that have been targeted towards, or we just don't know enough about these gentlemen when they come to a limelight and they make a public mistake. I mean, I think it happens both ways. Like I, I, I know for a fact that there are lots of times where people are targeted, you know, there's, there's agendas in this society. I'm just going to keep it real, you know? Um, and depending on what the agenda is, you know, you can be targeted if you're counter to that agenda. I guess the best example Here's a here's an example, not because I don't know enough about Jonathan Majors. You know, I don't know enough about the situation. So, you know, I'm like you, you know, I stay from, you know, casting aspersions and judgments based on things that I'm not truly informed. But I don't like to speculate about, about hypothetical situations. But let's say somebody like, are you familiar with uh, Andrew Tate, for example? Yes. OK. Yes. So so we know about the Andrew Tate situation and whether or not you agree or disagree with him. The, he he has a certain agenda, and society at large has a certain agenda. His narrative is counter to the agenda of society at large, and he currently dealt with a situation in Romania where he was locked up and imprisoned, you know, along with his brother for something that's yet to to be proven, right? And it's because what he's speaking on is dangerous to society. A lot of people believe, right? So I think that. I don't know. I don't know the facts of the situation. I just know that they don't have the facts yet. And I know that he's been banned. I know that he's been imprisoned. And I know that he's attempting, you know, to, you know, kind of clear his name and all of those things. But I think that that's an example of when you don't have the facts, but your agenda is different to somebody else's agenda, how you can be targeted and you can be deemed dangerous. To whoever, right? So um, hopefully I was able to draw that parallel, but I think that's somebody where we just don't have all the facts right now. You know, there might be a trail of different conversations, a trail of things that you may have seen him say in public forums, but there's not 
evidence in the particular situation that he was arrested in a prison for and currently on house arrest for. And I think that happens particularly to black people. I mean, he's mixed. He's black and, you know, probably more associated with the white community. But as far as black men, only that man is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I can only imagine what happens to black men who are going through situations and maybe they buck at the status quo a little bit. Maybe they're becoming too successful too quickly. Even when I look at brother LeBron James, I mean, never, no public scandals, you know, appears to be a great dude, upstanding dude, never been in trouble. And every opportunity somebody has to come at him, they're going to do it. You know what I'm saying? And there's people who try to smear his name. There's people who try to capture videos of him getting on an escalator. Dude literally has to run away from women because they're trying to frame him, right? And I think that that's something that you have to be careful of as you're ascending. You know, you got to understand that there are sectors of society that don't like to see us succeed. It exists, and I know it. And I think that it's, it's challenging because... What that does is it makes it difficult for us to navigate our own worlds where it's like if you do, if you are successful, you're a sellout. There's there's some there's something that you did in order to get in there. We can't enjoy any form of success, you know, with the mainstream and, and it's difficult for us to enjoy success within our own communities because we know how difficult it has been for us to navigate this world, the corporate space, you know, the financial space. And we know we know the barriers that we face. So when we do seem to make it, it's like, what did you do to get there? You know what I'm saying? Whose tail did you kiss to get there? Who did you sell out in order to get there? And it's like it, it happened. No, that's real. And, and thank you for bringing up that example, because I, I definitely do believe in the sense of waiting for information. And like you said, things yeah, to be yeah. proven you know, and stuff like that. But I definitely think that it does depend on whether or not who we like it and that moment, whether or not we give them that certain amount of grace. And yeah, on true. the other part, and on the other part, who are you? Because you take, for example, like you just mentioned, Andrew Tate, you know, gets arrested for human trafficking, but then a lot of his dialogue has definitely aligned with underage girls, right? Oh, so yeah, that yeah. does not help at all, right? No, so you, you're, you're, yeah, so you, you're right. So I, I, I see it both ways. And I just wanted to get that perspective you know, Sam, from you. And I I appreciate you landing that because I know that that can't be easy, you know, doing what you do, but I I definitely can see some of it. And I wanted to get a professional perspective from that because we hear about these theories online all the time. But I'm like, yo, where are the people who actually work in the business? Can they, you know, can they speak on it? So yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you for speaking on that. Let us know what we should be checking out for with Defy Gravity and all every other project that you got moving forward. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, Defy Gravity, uh, we're going to continue doing um, events and engagements. So I do have some speaking engagements uh, coming up. Um, But also, you know, I'm going to have a new book, actually um, a youth version of my book, Defy Gravity, that I'm working on currently, uh, which just kind of breaks down, you know, in a little more simpler terms that young people can relate to so that if they have visions, if they're aspiring young entrepreneurs, they kind of have a blueprint for how to map out their ideas and, you know, stay on course to where people can steer them from, you know, what it is that they're looking to do, uh, which I know happens so often with our young people. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I got going on. I'm working with different clients. Um, you know, I'm managing a, um, a film festival, a Parisian Jet Set Festival, uh, where, you know, we are going to be engaging uh, black creatives here in the United States, producers, 
filmmakers, actors, actresses. Um, so if you're looking to get overseas and tap into foreign markets, you know, hit me up because I'm working on this Parisian Film Festival and they're looking for people like you. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I got going on, man. That's what's up, man. Let them know your social so we can follow you for that information. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Defy Gravity. And you can also follow me um, at Intrigue Media Group on Instagram as well as on Facebook. And then I'm Ivan Thomas everywhere else. So uh, feel free to definitely tap in with me if you need some encouragement, some motivation, if you need some tips, if you need some PR, you know, definitely. Or if you want me to speak at your next event, you know, make sure to reach out. Much appreciated. I'm just going to say on a note that, yo, Ivan is for real when it comes to he will step up to the plate. If something happens, I won't go into too many details, but just know if you are listening, this brother is definitely somebody that is going to be for real. He is all about the life that he is. Yeah, he is all about that life, man. But no, thank you for this conversation. I appreciate your journey. And you know what I mean? Always willing to support. So, you know, we always let people know who first come on the show. This is an open invitation. So please feel free to come back if there's something that you feel in particular you want us to be aware of so we can, you know, throw some light to that. So much appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Love what you guys are doing. Thank you so much for having me. No doubt. No doubt. That's it. That's been this episode of The History of Being Black. I appreciate you. My blackness has been elevated. And thank you, Ivan, for elevating that. I hope your blackness has been elevated too, brother. Um, As usual, you can hit me up on all social medias at Society. You be blessed with successful. Make sure you follow History Being Black on all the social medias at Instagram. Make sure you follow our episodes that come up on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, or any other ones that you go and you check our podcast. Make sure you check out the latest episode that also too. Again, be blessed with successful. We'll talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O-Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.